topic of our uh, discourse certainly uh, this evening is a mindful contemplation of certainly uh, the six sense spheres, the so-called ayatana. So ayatana. Now, this particular uh, topic comes under uh, the heading of Dhammanupasana Satipatthana, a mindful contemplation of Dhammas. Now, there are many ways how unwholesome states can enter or penetrate our stream of consciousness. Would you have a few examples? Ways through which a lot, of ways. a lot. Yes, and that's correct. I would agree. And no. See, um, unwise attention to a, um, a object provocative of anger or revulsion. Oh yes. So you look at something unattractive and you start getting upset about it. And ah, there you go. And certainly, then, uh, in terms of really simple things, not being mindful of the body and bodily formations, not engaging in a mindful contemplation of the body, Gaya Nubhasana Satipatthana, we will not, we will um, encourage. Now the arising, yeah, the arising of a wrong view, and a wrongful belief in the existence of a self, of a being, of a personality, etc. Now, not being mindful of feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings. What happens? Nothing happens. We will identify with them. And, uh, and what the mind moves towards that which is pleasant and away from that which is unpleasant. Uh, now that is correct. And isn't it said now that um, um, in regard to each of the three, the three uh, feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feelings, there are certain underlying tendencies that get activated in the absence of mindfulness. And so, yet another way how um, unwholesome states uh, manage uh, to uh, penetrate uh, or to arise in the stream of consciousness. Now, the Buddha chose to include a mindful contemplation of the sense spheres with a really good reason. And it is um, by not paying attention to these uh, sense spheres, and I will explain in a short while what these are all about, that we are inviting yet an in another way, the arising of uh, uh, certain mental def- 
refinements or unwholesome yeah. states. And certain sins, we are working towards a state of purity through a process of continuous purification. We do want to pay attention to these certain six sense spheres. And as mentioned already in an earlier talk last week, the mindful contemplation of Fatna Dhammas Dhammanupasana Satipatthana begins with a mindful contemplation of the hindrances in order to overcome the disturbing uh, influences of those hindrances, then uh, by engaging in a mindful contemplation of the five aggregates there too, and, or engaging in that particular analysis, that too then helps Satna to uh, further uh, purify uh, the mind of certain identifications with the body, with the aggregate of feelings, and so on. And Satna, so next in uh, line, is a mindful contemplation of the sense spheres. Now, a mindful, the emphasis in the, or of the contemplation of the six sense spheres is on our relationship between ourselves and the outer world. So the main focus is on that uh, uh, interface between the world outside and certainly between ourselves. Now, the Buddha has pretty detailed, or has given uh, very detailed instructions with regard to this mindful contemplation of the sense spheres. And I'm quoting from uh, the Majjhima Nikaya, the Satipatthana Sutta. One knows the eye, the physical eye, one with which we see. One knows forms or visible objects. And one knows the fetter that arises dependent on both. And one also knows how an unarisen fetter can arise, how an arisen fetter can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed fetter can be prevented. One knows the ear, one knows sounds, and one knows certainly the fetter that arises dependent on both. And one knows the nose, one knows odors, and one knows the fetters, and the fetter that arises dependent on both. Then the instructions continue with a mindful contemplation of uh, 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 the taste experiences. So one knows 
the tongue, one knows certainly the uh, various flavors, and one knows certainly the fetcher that arises depending on both. One further knows the body, one knows tactile formations or tactile impressions, one knows the fetter that arises dependent on both. And finally, one knows the mind, one knows mind objects, and one knows the fetter that arises dependent on both. And one also knows how an unarisen fetter can arise, how an arisen fetter can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed fetter can be prevented. So, with regard to oneness and sphere, we have a total of how many instructions? The eye, the form, knows the fetter that rests dependent on both, knows six altogether, right? And satna, this then multiplied satna, by uh, the six satna, sense spheres. Now, in a general way, the aim or the objective of uh, this mindful contemplation of the sense spheres is, uh, um, well, release from suffering. The fourth volume of the Samyutinikaya and its 18th section contains certain the following um, statement by uh, the Buddha addressing the monastics and certain uh, saying monastics and lay uh, retreatants. Oh, retreatants without directly knowing and fully understanding the I, without developing dispassion towards it and abandoning it, one is incapable of destroying suffering. And the same thing then goes for the other sense doors. So the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body and the mind. And the following discourse in uh, the Samyutta Nikaya is uh, um, presented in a very similar way, except that this time you know, the emphasis, the focus is on the sense objects. And so uh, the discourse states, <coughs> sorry, O um, monastics, O lay retreatants, without directly knowing and under fully understanding the visible objects, forms, without developing you know, dispassion towards form and abandoning it, one is incapable of destroying suffering. Now, we cherish suffering, 
or do we want to get out of suffering? Obviously, we want to get out of it. So the next speak of certain six certain sense spheres Ayatana in Sal Ayatana in the Pali scriptural language. And it is on these six sense spheres that the mental processes of the five physical sense doors and consciousness depend, being the six personal bases adjatika and the six objects, the so-called external bahira bases. Namely, we have as a sense base and personal sense space, the eye, and the ex- corresponding external base would be the visible object or a form. Then we have the ear as a personal base, and certain then audible objects, in other words, sounds, as certain the respective external base. We have the nose as the personal base and Satna the corresponding odor as Satna the external base. Odor, scent, fragrance. Then we have the tongue as the personal ajatika base and Satna the corresponding external base, namely taste or flavor. Then we have the body as certain of the personal base and certain of the corresponding tactile impressions or body impressions as certain of the external base. Then finally we have the mind base, man ayatana, in the Pali scriptural language as the personal base and the corresponding external or the corresponding base uh, would be the mind object, dam ayatana, in the Pali scriptural language. Now, the Vibhanga defines the personal base or the visual base or the eye in the following way. Namely, by the visual or personal base, Chak Ayatana in the Pali is meant the sensitive part of the eye, the so-called Chakupasada, built up of the four elements responding to various sense certain stimuli. 
and then the def definition of the remaining four mm, bodily sense basis, personal sense basis, is similar. And then in terms of the mind base, man ayatana, this is explained as follows, namely this is a collective term for all consciousness whatsoever. Now, the external base, namely the visible object, the Vibhanga defines as follows. So the visible object here would be Rupa Ayatana in you know, the Pali scriptural language. And so it is that phenomenon which is built up of the four physical elements and appears as colors, as form, etc. The same definition or the framework of it, the definition then applies to the remaining uh, external bases, physical bases. So near the ear, near the uh, sorry, near the audible uh, objects, the odors, the tastes, and certain body impressions, and by mind objects, dhammayatana is meant, or, or you know, you know, that, you know, then may cover a physical object, may be a mental object of the past, of the present, of the future, real or imaginary. Now, would you say that our sense sphere processes that are taking place, are they all perfectly objective or not? Would you say yes, no? They're not. And the way we perceive some external base, so may, may this be a visible object or a sound and you know, so on, depends not only on that external base, but it also depends on internal aspects. And in particular, 
will it depend on our feelings and our views, past conditioning and the like. Venerable Bhikkhu Analayu in his book Satipatthana states the following, namely, supposedly objective perceptual appraisal is in reality conditioned by the subject as much as by the object. And a mindful contemplation of the six sense spheres unveils this subjective bias or the influence that is present in each process of perception. Now, and in the absence of mindfulness, this bias can lead to the arising of a fetter, a so-called samyojana. Now, by fetters, or, mm, when we speak of fetters, the text uh, mm, mentions a group of uh, ten fetters, samyojana in the Pali scripture language, which fetter, which bind a being to the cycle of existence, the cycle of birth and death. And these fetters, ten fetters, are as follows. Belief in a substantial and permanent self, doubt, dogmatic clinging to rites and rituals, essential desire, aversion, then craving for fine material existence, craving for immaterial existence, and conceit, restlessness, and ignorance. Now, what typically happens in the absence of mindfulness is, with regard certain to mm, the sense sphere uh, processes, let's say in the case of the eye, the seeing process, the eye is present it is intact in a good working position or condition and then we have a visible form so some some visible object that impinges on the eye or the eye's sensitivity and this leads to the arising of this or that fetter. 
And so it could sit upon seeing some enticing Orlena, sorry, let me uh, go step by step. Upon seeing some visible object, we might wrongfully believe that it is I who is seeing. So in other words, I am seeing. Or if the visible object is of a desirable nature, enticing, etc. And in the absence of mindfulness, then and based on past conditioning, that desirable enticing object impinging on the idol may then lead to the arising of the fetter of sensual desire. Now, in the case of the hearing process, let's say we're sitting in meditation with eyes closed and we're trying to focus on the rising and falling movement of the abdomen and certainly then there's some loud certain truck, heavily loaded truck drives past. And certain we can't help but hear the sound of that driving that truck driving past. And so the sound impinges on the ear door and assuming the good working condition of the ear then in the absence of mindfulness will lead to the arising of a fetter, namely it could be aversion, the fetter of aversion towards Satna the sound and the sound Satna then may be viewed more as a noise rather than simply a sound. So with regard to each and every of Satna these six Satna sense spheres in the absence of mindfulness this or that among the fetters is the ten fetters is likely to occur. saying that states the world is not as it is but 
we see it as we are. A Buddhist scholar, Johansson, puts this as follows. Things are seen through the lenses of our desires, prejudices, and resentments, and are transformed accordingly. Now, this influence through the sense spheres could be compared to wearing first a glass, a pair of sunglasses with, let's say, dark black lenses. And when we look at the world through those black sunglasses, we will see the world around us in a black-tinged manner. Should, however, we decide to wear a pair of green sun or sunglasses with a green lens, then we will see the world around us in a, with a green tinge. So you know, the environmentalists will probably do, do that or will be pleased with that. So our way of perceiving the world around us very much is dependent on a number of other things such as our biases, our uh, views, our prejudices, resentments and uh, uh, opinions and uh, um, conditioning, the past conditioning and stereotype, national you know, stereotypes you know, that uh, might exist. Now, do you prefer to live like that? Seeing the world in a biased way? Is this a long way? No? No? Anyone of a different opinion? So, we want to see the world as much as possible in an objective manner. In an objective manner and in a manner that will not certainly lead to the arising of the fetters. Now, the, the Buddha's instructions with regard to mindful contemplation of uh, the sense fears state one knows the eye, one knows visible forms or visible objects, and one knows the fetter that arises dependent on both. 
So those are three instructions already very much apply to the seeing process as we you know, will experience it many times in the course of a day. Now, when the seeing process takes place, when there's a visible object which impinges on you know, the eye or you know, the eye sensitivity, then what are we supposed to do? We label as seeing, there you go. And uh, then we want to carefully observe that seeing process in order to come, uh, in order to understand its true nature. Now, maybe one more uh, example from the life of a retreatant. We come to the dining hall for breakfast, we come for you know, to the dining hall for lunch, and either Mary or, or both Mary has prepared breakfast, delicious breakfast, Amy has prepared, Amy and Kathy have prepared a delicious meal, and you see the various dishes placed there on the buffet. Then what happens? Uh, ideally, you label as seeing, seeing. A good meditator would be doing just that. That's correct. But are you truly doing that all the time? And could it be that uh, while you're standing in line, and sometimes certain uh, you have to wait certain uh, quite a while for. Uh, for your turn to come and to serve yourself and so you have time to see the different dishes and evaluate them and you know, then maybe fantasize about them oh what might this be and what will it taste like and oh this looks really delicious and uh, then uh, already some sense desire might arise or you know, also you know, if the dish doesn't look that delicious then you know, some aversion might arise. Now, so not only do we want to know the eye, know the visible form and the fetter that might arise you know, dependent on both, but we also want to know how an unarisen fetter can arise. And this happens when we are absent-minded, when we are not restraining the senses, and certain when, let's say, the mind is certain uh, strongly uh, or is filled with certain some. Uh, really strong uh, mental uh, defilements. But conditioning might certainly also play an important uh, role. I'll give you an example for uh, social conditioning. If uh, 
many of your uh, friends possess a cell phone of a particular type and tell you how good it is and the many things that can be done with it sooner or later what will happen? Uh, you will crave for one, there you go and uh, you will find yourself uh, uh, ordering uh, the, the exactly that same type of cell phone on the internet and so in this case it's due to social conditioning everyone else is praising a particular cell phone and suddenly sooner or later you end up believing that you too should possess one So these Satipatthana instructions then state that not only should we know how an aneurysm fetter arises or can arise, but also to know how a fetter that is present and to know the conditions that lead to its removal and furthermore if a president a fetter is removed temporarily removed to know the conditions that prevent a future arising of it now it is mindfulness that is needed for the diagnosis of what is happening. It is mindfulness that is needed to prevent an unarisen, unwholesome fetter, or to prevent an unarisen fetter from arising. And it is again mindfulness that will be needs to be used or applied when a particular fetter has already arisen due to a sense fear process. <coughs> now, There's more to be investigated and to be understood in connection with these six sense-sphere processes. Now, very useful for a better understanding is a passage from the Madhupindika Sutta 
of the Majimanikaya, the in English translated as Satna, the discourse on the honey ball. Now, the relevant Satna passage is given in the first volume of the Majimanikaya, section 111, 112. Dependent on the eye and visible forms, eye consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact, sometimes also referred to as eye contact. With contact as condition, there is what? Yes, that is correct. And what one feels that one perceives or cognizes, what one perceives that one thinks about, what one thinks about that one mentally proliferates. With what one has mentally proliferated as the source, perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation beset a woman or a man with respect to past, future and present forms cognizable through the eye. Is this something that is totally unfamiliar to you or quite familiar? <laughs> yes, Ravanchi? <laughs> Is the Buddha, did the Buddha put his finger right on uh, where <laughs> <laughs> the mental defilements do arise? Well, I would say so. And so it happens so easily that we see some form or we hear a sound or we come to smell some odor etc and so, so there's certain the respective consciousness arising eye consciousness and you know, or seeing consciousness hearing consciousness smelling consciousness etc and uh, that then leads to when the three come together, namely the eye, the form, and the seeing consciousness, and the same for the other uh, sense of processes, that suddenly then contact arises based on that feeling arises, and based on uh, based on that, then perception arises, and in the absence of mindfulness, yes, indeed, we easily get carried away by thinking. You see the most beautiful, let's say, Indian, what was it, Indian brush. Uh, a particular flower, mountain flower from uh, up here. 
and you see it's exquisite mm, shape and certainly exquisite uh, red certain color of it mild uh, red certain color of it and immediately you know, the mind gets certainly carried away you know, by thinking about what has been seen and thinking maybe which botanical class this particular flower belongs to you might further be thinking whether you have seen a similar flower already in the past or not or maybe heard others talk about it and certain the like and so the mind easily gets distracted just because mm, the seeing process is taking place and you know, we're not mindful of it and the thinking may go on for a long time and indeed proliferate one thing leading to the next to the next to the next now as human beings we are fortunate in a sense to have fitness exactness sense stores but if those sadness and stores are not guarded you know, through mindfulness then guarded through mindfulness certainly you know, through restraint of the senses and then these same six sadness and sphere you know, processes can actually or actually you know, serve as uh, um, or, or can mm, cause plenty of uh, um, pollution of the mind and it so easily happens that upon seeing something upon hearing a certain statement from someone else overhearing a statement or in other ways that then this leads to some thinking and certainly then this may lead to projections and associations and in no time we without recognizing it we become victims of our own imaginative mind and the mind has a fabulous capacity to do just that we get all tangled up in certain ideas and just because you know, we're not uh, careful you know, with or not mindfully guarding over you know, the sense doors now 
crucial stage in the perceptual process where bias can set in occurs with the appraisal of feeling, vedana, and cognition, sanya. Now, our cognition or perceptions of the world around us are, would you say, perfectly reliable or not? Are they true representations of what is really happening out there? Even? Not necessarily. So there are lots and lots of examples for this, how um, our perceptions can be, what, what we first start to perceive being one thing and what actually happens uh, being a different thing. Now, an example uh, that has been, uh, been given in this regard many, on many occasions is part of the text even, seeing some dried or yetness around uh, dusk, walking around, and so, you know, then seeing at a distance an object. And a curly, longish object. And the mind immediately jumping to the conclusion, perceiving that curly, longish object lying there you know, some you know, feet or some you know, meters away as a snake. And not just that, even as a poisonous snake. Well, around dusk, you know, there isn't that much you know, sunshine, or there isn't, you know, there's no sunshine left, hardly left, and you know, thus you know, easily one can misperceive. Now, upon walking or getting a bit closer you know, to you know, the object, one recognizes, well, after all, you know, this is not a poisonous snake, but rather a dead, dry, curly, longish leaf that happens to lie there on, uh, uh, ahead of one. Now, the fear, the initial fear that followed you know, upon seeing that certain curly, longish you know, um, uh, leaf, seeing this as a snake, that initial fear was very useful or not? Does it serve us greatly, Jackie? No, not at all. It's useless because it's based on a wrong perception. Seeing a curled, longish, dead, dry leaf as a snake. Is there any reason to get into the monk? I not. And so our perceptions are oftentimes uh, twisted. And to believe, as we oftentimes 
do and uh, just assume that these uh, that uh, uh, these our perceptions are absolutely accurate. This is uh, yet another um, uh, well case of uh, not properly understanding. Now, there's political um, political theories, um, stereotypes about other nationalities, and certainly religious stereotypes, etc. That's uh, in may in a major manner influence our perceptions of our fellow uh, human beings. And members or citizens of a certain country may be seen due to an unfortunate stereotype in a certain way. May be seen as, let's say, uh, very, uh, very energetic, or members of a different uh, nationality may be perceived by by common uh, agreement or stereotype as being you know, rather less, uh, or let's say, you know, being rather lethargic. Now, one actually meets a member of that, uh, a citizen of that, uh, first nationality, and uh, thinks of the person as being very uh, hardworking and industrious, etc. And uh, spending some time with that person, working together with that person, one might find out it's not necessarily like that. Or a citizen of uh, the second nationality, that uh, stereotype witnesses are also lethargic when getting to know that citizen may turn out to be everything but uh, lethargic. And so we have to be, and I'm just deliberately choosing very careful um, uh, illustrations certainly here, but, uh, and, and you know, these illustrations, of course, can be applied to our day-to-day -day interactions with fellow human beings and interactions from you know, one community or interaction between one community and another or one country and another, etc., etc. Now, Not only may these uh, sense-sphere processes, when they unfold in the absence of mindfulness, lead to you know, the arising of you know, fetters. Beyond that, Without mindfulness, perceptual processes may lead to the arising of certain latent cognitions and latent tendencies.
And the third volume of the Majima Nikaya in its section 285 nicely explains this. And I'm quoting. O monastics and old retreatants, dependent on the eye and forms or visible objects, eye consciousness arises, the meeting of the three is contact, with contact as condition there arises a feeling. So up to this point we understand. Felt as a pl- as pleasant or painful or neither painful nor pleasant. When one is touched by a pleasant feeling, if one delights in it, welcomes it and remains holding on to it, then the underlying tendency to lust lies within one. When one is touched by a painful feeling, if one sorrows, grieves and laments, weeps, beating one's chest and becomes distraught, then the underlying tendency to aversion lies within one. When one is touched by a neutral feeling, if one does not understand as it actually is, the origination, the disappearance, the gratification, the danger and the escape in regard to that feeling, then the underlying tendency to ignorance and gets um, lies within one. So, by feeling, feelings being part of the perceptual perceptual process, if we're not mindful of uh, the feeling tone at that certain particular point, well, then uh, this will easily lead to the activation of this or that uh, uh, underlying tendency. Now, the underlying tendencies to lust and then to aversion and the underlying tendency to views, to doubt, to conceit, to lust for existence and to ignorance. Would you say that certainly these are in any way helpful to our realization of the goal of uh, true knowledge and liberation, Vijayamuti? Are they useful or not? Not at all. Now, the Samyutta Nikaya in its fifth volume, section 60, states the following. O monastics or lay retreatants, there are 
these seven underlying tendencies. What seven? The underlying tendency to lust, karma, anusia, karma, anusia. The underlying tendency to aversion. The underlying tendency to views, to doubt, to conceit, to lust for existence. And finally, the underlying tendency to ignorance. These are the seven underlying tendencies. This noble eightfold path is to be developed for direct knowledge of uh, these seven underlying tendencies, for the full understanding of them, for their utter destruction, destruction for their abandoning. Now, a passage in the fifth volume of the Samyutta Nikaya, namely section 28, contains advice given to his certain disciples, saying, should, O bhikkhus, should you ever be asked by some wanderers by some ascetics, what is the purpose for which um, the Buddha and his disciple live and certain strive, then you should uh, answer as follows. And I'm just giving you the gist. The whole purpose of practicing the path taught by the Buddha is to abandon the fetters, to uproot the tendencies, the underlying tendencies, the anusias, and you know, to bring about certainly you know, the eradication or the destruction of the taints, the asavas. And that certainly you know, then eventually leading you know, to you know, the arising of true knowledge and certain liberation with Vimuti. Now, a mindful contemplation of the six certain sense spheres is useful not only to see or to better understand the perceptual process and how this may lead to um, proliferation is not only useful you know, to prevent the fetters certainly from arising, but will also be useful to see the true nature of those very six sense fear processes. Now, would you say then certainly the seeing process is perfectly permanent at all times? It's always been permanent. Upon closer observation, what do you find out? 
it's impermanent, yes. And uh, an ordinary person would say, oh, well, it's wonderful to see, it's wonderful to hear uh, soothing sounds and so on. Wait until uh, you have an opportunity to do, or, or uh, you know, such a person has an opportunity you know, to do an intensive retreat and uh, will have an opportunity you know, to take a closer uh, look or to pay close attention to the hearing process itself. Now, when we do this properly, then we come to see for ourselves that the seeing process is everything but permanent, is everything but conducive to mm, happiness, is everything but um, under one's control, and everything but beautiful. And so, in other words, retreatants come to see for themselves, and this can be experienced, it's not just a you know, theory, it can be experienced with regard to any of the six sense sphere uh, processes. Now, maybe the last point for today is some good news. And the good news is, do we really have to be slaves or victims of all of our perceptions? Is that really necessary? when some unpleasant, undesirable object comes along, is it necessary that we always see it in an aversive manner? Not necessary. Now, the fifth volume of the Nesemutanikaya, near section 295, in similar passages also, uh, can be found in the Patisambhida Magga the, and the Majjhima Nikaya and the Angucha Nikaya. If one wishes, may I dwell perceiving the repulsive in the unrepulsive. One dwells perceiving the repulsive therein. If one wishes, may I dwell Perceiving the unrepulsive in the repulsive, one dwells perceiving the unrepulsive therein. If one wishes, may I dwell perceiving the repulsive in the unrepulsive, and in the repulsive, one dwells perceiving the repulsive therein. If one wishes, may I dwell perceiving the unrepulsive in the repulsive, and in the unrepulsive, one dwells perceiving the unrepulsive therein. If one wishes, avoiding both the unrepulsive and the repulsive, may dwell equanimously, mindful and clearly comprehending, then one dwells therein equanimously, and mindful and clearly comprehending. So, 
The good news is that we do not need to be um, a rea- or yeah, need to be uh, so reactive with regard to the various sensory processes that take place within a day. So the mind can be trained to see something that previously was seen as undesirable as desirable. The mind can be trained in a way that it becomes perfectly equanimous about whatever uh, is being experienced. Now, a beautiful example for this is loving-kindness meditation, intensive jhana, metta, bhavana. And just like we're practicing the Pasana meditation intensively, in the same way, metta, jhana practice can be done all day long. Radiating loving-kindness to oneself, to a dear person, later on to a very dear person, to a neutral person, and eventually to an enemy. Now, before we start with intensive metta, um, jhana practice, we might have this or that enemy. When our metta-jhana practice is, when we take one person, we choose one person as our, among our enemies, and we then radiate loving-kindness to him or her, after having radiated loving-kindness to the neutral person, very dear person, etc., then what happens? Towards that person vanishes. The, that's correct. The aversion towards that person vanishes. Not only does it vanish, it is gone. And instead, all being all beings one has radiated loving kindness to oneself, the dear person, very dear person, that neutral person, and the enemy are seen in an equal manner with equal amount of loving kindness. Now, that is uh, a beautiful example how an enemy, through training, through the uh, development of the mind, how an enemy can be seen in a very positive way. Maybe as a very last uh, practical example, if there's a particular dish that you don't like, let's say, milk rice with cinnamon on it. So, if you don't like that milk rice with cinnamon on it, the thing to do is never look at it, never taste it, always go <laughs> keep, you know, keep a big distance. The thing to do would be to eat it. And not just once, but many times, until finally uh, you know, the mind becomes totally equanimous towards that you know, milk rice with cinnamon sprinkled onto it. Now, I would like to conclude today's uh, discourse by you know, wishing, may you take, uh, may you take the Buddha's uh, instructions as given in the Satipatthana's Sutta on 
a mindful contemplation of the six sense spheres to heart. May you apply those in your practice and uh, by meticulously labeling, observing, and then coming to know the true nature of the various sense sphere processes, may uh, your mind be increasingly guarded against the arising of fetters, of underlying tendencies, and uh, uh, any kind of taints. And may this in turn then contribute to a further purification of the mind, ending in or leading to purity and this thing contributing to the realization of the peace of Nibbana within this very retreat here. And this is it for the discourse. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.